this morning during the worship time. Uh, and we'll continue studying spiritual warfare and the power of prayer this morning and then tonight and uh, Monday and Tuesday night. Uh, I call this lesson the covenant. Um, we're going to look at the ten steps of the covenant, the ancient covenant, back when God said to Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. There was a robe exchange, a belt exchange, a weapon exchange, sacrifice was required, uh, a walk of death, which we'll talk about, uh, mark on the body, blessings and curses, uh, a covenant meal, a name exchange, and a son exchange. And <clears throat> this one will help a lot of verses that make sense, like why did Abraham have to change his name from Abram to Abraham? And why did Jesus call himself son of man? Those are always confusing things that this lesson will help uh, clear up. Um, let me just give a quick little how this got started thing. I, I was a business guy for almost 30 years. I owned a technology company in the Longview area. And uh, my dad died as uh, he was the mayor of Mason, Texas, when he died. And, and uh, when he died, my little brother and I were looking for the will. And we were digging in his old safe in the back of his office and found an envelope from dad addressed to the two of us, thick and sealed, but he'd written on the outside, if you boys find this after I'm dead, do not open it. It's not important. Destroy this envelope without opening it. Now, be honest, how many of y'all would open that envelope? Yeah, that's what I thought. Some people tell me they'd get their best friend to open it and tell them what was in it, that way they didn't disobey, but they figured out what they wanted to know. You know, we sort of we sort of uh, justify the things we want to do, even if it's not right. Well, that led to uh, a study on heaven because there were no books on heaven. All of a sudden, I was curious about heaven and spent seven years, two hours a day researching what the Bible had to say about heaven. And one of the chapters has this little section at the end about the ten steps of the ancient covenant. So that's what we're going to talk about in Bible class. If you're looking for... The actual list of these things and the description, it's in the book on heaven, my search for the real heaven. Just change the batteries, but it's not real quick to change. God has always worked by covenant. Now, there are seven covenants in scripture. Uh, Eden with Adam, with Noah, with Abram, who became Abraham, we'll talk about in a moment, with Moses, David, and then we're in the seventh covenant, the new covenant that Jesus talks about when he instituted the Lord's Supper. What is a covenant? The closest equivalent we have today to that is a contract, but it's not, it's way more than a contract. It's, it's, uh, it's a deeper commitment than a contract. Uh, you know, if I'm Emmett Smith and I have a big year rushing, I want to renegotiate my contract. I, wanna, I want a new contract, and we, we violate our contracts, and we break contracts, and this is not, this one isn't that way. This is a permanent, binding, forever uh, contract that's called a covenant, way more than a normal uh, contract. The first covenant in Edom, Eden is, is uh, mentioned in Genesis 1:28. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. So the first covenant was about dominion of the earth. God made man to rule. And it's kind of interesting. What have we promised as Christians? We're going to one day rule with Christ. See, God's plan all along was for man uh, to rule. The second covenant was with Adam after they sinned in Eden. He banished them from Eden and placed a flaming sword there to guard the way to the tree of life, Genesis 3, 23, and 24. So the second covenant blocked our way to the tree of life. The third covenant was with Noah, but it wasn't just with Noah. It was with all his descendants, which includes us. 
and it was with all the animals. That's often overlooked. Genesis 9, verses 8 to 10. God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. So the third covenant was to never flood the earth again, the whole earth again. The fourth covenant was with Abram, who became Abraham. Uh, Genesis 17, 9, God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the covenant. And we still have a responsibility today. But Abraham's covenant included his uh, land, included land, a land promise, and his descendants. So it was with Israel and with the Jews. The fifth covenant is the Mosaic covenant. We call it the old law. Exodus 24, 7. He took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. So there's fulfilling that responsibility. So it was the law. The fifth covenant in Scripture is the law. The sixth covenant was with David. Uh, 2 Kings 8, verse 19. The Lord did not want to destroy Judah, for he had made a covenant with David and promised that his descendants would continue to rule, shining like a lamp forever. So we already recognize that's a connection to Jesus ruling uh, in eternity. So King David and his heir going to rule forever is the sixth covenant in the uh, Bible. These are the seven main covenants, and, and the newest one is one we're under now, New Covenant. Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace who brought, us, uh, brought up from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. So his blood ratifies the covenant. We're going to talk more about the blood in just a minute. The last one is Christianity that we, we live in today. So um, let me just show you a, a sample of how this is interwoven in so many stories in the Bible. In the story of David and Goliath, we remember that, that David was... Uh, didn't even have armor on, and he slew this giant who was nine feet tall. And when he came out and saw that this uh, giant had been taunting Israel and the people of God for 40 days, what did he say? He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who does he think he is? What's circumcision? Sign of the covenant. We're going to look at signs in just a moment. What he was saying was, who does this guy think he is? We got God on our side. I don't care if he's 30 feet tall. Give me my slingshot and five stones. Anybody know why he wanted five stones? No, he had four brothers. He figured one stone per giant. He figured when he killed Goliath, the four brothers would come after him right then. He wanted five stones. So it didn't matter what his size was when God is on your side. I love this the symbolism here. I'm working on another book called uh, The Importance of Bible Symbols. See, Goliath was a real person, nine feet tall, who David defeated. This isn't a myth, some fairy tale. This is a real story. But he's also a symbol of giants that we're going to face in our life. You're going to face financial giants. You're going to face emotional giants. You're going to face all kinds of giants in your life. Okay? So this is a great reminder. We can overcome when we're on God's side. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine think he is? God's on our side. Okay. David's purpose it revealed, is revealed in 2 Samuel 3.18. David is going to save Israel from the Philistines and all their enemies. David began fulfilling his purpose the day he killed Goliath, but he continued that the rest of his life. And the one time he didn't go out with the army to fulfill his purpose, what happened? He got in trouble. 
he's lounging around at the palace all day long, waking up in the afternoon nap, and things go from bad to worse. So focus on your purpose. Stay busy with your purpose. So here's the seven covenants in Scripture, and there's a symbol with each one. The first one with the uh, covenant in Eden, the symbol is, is the idea of purity or perfection. An apple with a drop of water on it is often used. We don't know what the fruit was, but that's a symbol. Uh, with, with Adam and their uh, requirement to leave Eden because uh, the, the tree of life was there, the flame and sword was the symbol. With Noah, it's the rainbow. We still have rainbows. Uh, with Abraham, it's circumcision. With Moses, it continued circumcision, but also we have the Torah, the law. And then with David, it was the, t- the Torah continued, but David's throne is a symbol because his heir is going to ra- reign on the throne how long? Forever. And then the new covenant... We still have that idea of, of a king on the throne forever in eternity. And also we have a cross as a symbol, and we use baptism as a symbol. So that's the symbols connected with those. Now, in ancient times, there were actually ten specific steps to a covenant. And if you didn't do all ten, you weren't in covenant. You couldn't do nine steps and be in covenant. You had to complete all ten. So I want you to notice when God promised Abram to give him land and descendants, we mentioned that was part of the covenant promise a moment ago, notice how Abram responded to God. He said, Lord, how do I know you're going to do what you say? Now he's talking to God. That's a pretty audacious thing to say to God, but they were friends, see? You talk to your friend openly and honestly. Abraham's called a friend of God. In fact, uh, At the end of Jesus' ministry, he calls his disciples and he said, you're no longer my disciples, you're my friends. God shared with you everything the Father shared with me. So the question today is, are you a friend of God? God's looking for friends to share his secrets with, which are in his word. So be in his word. So here he he responds to God, how do I know you're going to do what you say? You promised me land and descendants, I got no kids. How do I know you're going to do what you say? And what does God say? He says... Go get a heifer. Now, if you read the context and you read the whole Bible, it doesn't tell you anywhere where God told him what to do with the heifer. But Abraham knew. Oh, go get a heifer. He went and got a heifer. He cut it in half. He did this procedure. That's how covenants were made. When when God said, go get a heifer, he was saying, we're going to make a covenant. That's that's how you're going to know I'm going to do what I said I would do. Uh, Abram replied, Sovereign Lord, how can I be sure you'll act, I'll actually possess it? The Lord said, bring a three-year-old heifer. So Abraham knew what to do. And this picture uh, uh, depicts what actually happens, but they cut the heifer in half, and they laid the two halves side by side, and the blood flowed out in the middle on the ground, and the covenant people walked through the blood. Okay, sounds kind of gross, but that's how they did a covenant back then. This is Genesis 15, verses 10 and 11. They cut the animal in half down the middle. Covenants and blood free people. Zechariah 9, verse 11. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. What is a waterless pit? Hell. Rich man Lazarus story. The rich man's in hell. What's the one thing he asked for? Go get Lazarus to dip his finger in water just touch my tongue. So he's in hell in torment. He's got a body and he's got a tongue. Go chew on that one for a little while. That's kind of an interesting thought. The first step in the ancient covenant was a robe exchange. And that symbolized a confusion of identity. If uh, Clay Spencer 
and Steve Hemphill made a covenant, then I would give him my outer garment and he would give me his. Remember Joseph's coat of many colors? They could see him coming from far off. Oh, it's that son that's a dreamer. See, your outer garment was what people used to recognize you. You wore the same one all the time. You didn't have a closet full. You, you wore the one you had. And so uh, if Clay was walking into town, they'd say, well, there comes Clay. Wait a minute. That's Steve in Clay's robe. They must be in covenant. So it was a confusion of identity. All of a sudden, when I'm a Christian, you should be confused. I shouldn't act like I acted before. I got this new robe on. See, it's a new thing. Baptism is how we do that today. When you were baptized, you were clothed with Christ. I don't act like the old Steve. I act like a new, saved, godly Steve, different than the old Steve. So baptism is the equivalent today of this new identity that uh, is, is uh, representative in the first step of this old covenant. Galatians 3, 26 and 27, you were baptized into Christ, so you were all clothed with Christ. This means that you all are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So it's a new identity. Now, another interesting verse that I just added this verse yesterday came from Matthew 22, 11 to 13, which is the, the parable where the king is at the feast, and notice this guy, he wasn't wearing the proper clothes for the wedding. And he says, bind his hands and feet and throw him out. How'd you get in here, is what he says. How'd you get into the wedding? You're not dressed properly. Bind his hand and feet and throw him into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a, that's a representative of a hell. Away from the feast and the king and the feast of the lamb and the kingdom. What was the proper clothing? Clothe yourself with Christ in baptism. Very interesting connection. So that's the first step of the ancient covenant. The second step is, is a belt exchange. The belt is where you hung your weapons. So the belt was your symbol of the strength. The, I, I can just grab my weapon at any time if an enemy comes. Uh, Christians have access to God's strength through their covenant relationship. This is why we pray. Lord, give me strength to face this problem I have to face. So the belt exchange is, an, is a symbolic gesture of, of the source of strength. And, of course, in the New Testament equivalent to that, Jesus is the source of our strength. If you're in Christ and, and you can pray because you're in the family, you can go to the throne of God at any time, uh, Jesus is where that strength comes from. Uh, an Old Testament equivalent is uh, uh, Isaiah 11, verse 5, goodness will uh, give strength like a belt. And we have that belt of truth in the armor. We'll talk about that uh, uh, tonight or tomorrow night, but goodness and strength is your belt. So the third thing was we exchange weapons. If Clay and I made this covenant and I gave him my robe and my belt, my weapons hung from my belt. So when I gave him the belt, I left my weapons on the belt. He got my sword, and he would do the same thing. He'd give me his robe and his sword. Okay, That symbolizes an exchange of enemies. If we're in covenant, your enemies are now my enemies, and my enemies are your enemies. And if you're attacked, I'm required by covenant to come help defend your house. See, So it represented a, a permanent alliance. And since God's enemy is, is Satan, who rebelled, uh, Satan became ours. And then who's our enemy? Death. Jesus came and conquered death on the cross. So this fits together so nicely. It helps so many things, like I said, make, make sense. So God's enemies are Satan's friends uh, from Garden of Eden on, we see Satan involved in deception and lies. Uh, when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. One of the New Testament verses says, The snake Satan said to the woman, You'll not die. 
God knows if you eat from the, true, from the uh, tree, you'll be like God. So he's busy trying to lead God's people astray. He was God's enemy, now he's our enemy. Okay? This is a New Testament uh, example of that, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Uh, be controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. We still have that today. Satan didn't just exist in the Old Testament. Satan is still active today. Look around, watch the news, and you'll see. The fourth step in the ancient covenant was a requirement of a sacrifice. Covenants require blood sacrifice. I love these two little uh, graphics. The, Jesus is the Lamb of God, our, our perfect sacrifice, and the blood there is in the shape of the continents, and then you had the reflection of the drop of the crosses on Calvary. Uh, see, this is, this is why God asked for Isaac's life. God said, take Isaac and sacrifice him. Genesis 22, verse 2. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, the son of promise. Uh, and then the blood of Jesus seals our covenant. That's uh, mentioned in several places, but Hebrews 10, 19 is one good example. So, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven in its most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. His sacrifice gives us the connection we need to God if we're in Christ. And there's the, the uh, requirement. So, again, when you're baptized, you're buried with Christ, and that gives you that connection. Baptism connects you to the sacrifice that, that he made on our behalf. Fifth step was the walk of death. Now, I showed you this picture a little earlier, and, and you see the two halves of the, of the heifer uh, and the blood that they're walking between. So what would actually happen, these two, these two uh, covenant partners, they'd have the two halves of the heifer and the blood that's kind of on the ground between them, and they would walk together through the blood and then turn around one half of the carcass, the one on the right, and they'd go back to where they started, and they'd walk through the blood a second time and walk around the other half, and it was called a walk of death. And there was a lot of symbolism involved in this, but if it, one of the main things was if you don't honor the covenant, the penalty is death. Blood, is, is, the life is in the blood, see? So when the blood all flows out and we're walking through this animal blood, it was a symbol of the walk of death you're going to take if you don't honor the covenant. We're dying to self and we're living for Christ, New Testament equivalent. They walk through the blood, and if you broke the covenant, you were killed. And so the New Testament walk of death is baptism. You still have another connection to baptism. It's so interesting how many of these steps connect to baptism that we practice today. When you rise to walk a new life, you come out of the waters of baptism, and I'm a new Steve. See, I don't act like the old Steve. It's a, it's a, the old Steve died in the water. A new Steve lives from then on. Um, it's kind of a confusing. When it says, when you read this in the passage of Genesis 15, it says, after the sun went down, darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Okay, that's a little confusing. Let's talk about that for just a minute. Um, uh, since we know the penalty for violating the covenant was death, is God able to keep his promises when he makes a covenant? 100% of the time, never miss? Yes. However, Abraham was human like you and me. So at some point, he's going to fail. Okay? So what was going to be the penalty for failure? Death. So what happened was, when you read the context of the Genesis 15 experience with the two halves and, and the covenant, and we know it's a covenant because God said he made a covenant with Abraham that day, what happened was Abraham got everything ready, and then he's thinking, what do I do next? Normally, the two of us would walk through the blood, but God is unseen, and I live in the seen realm. 
So he just kind of hangs out, and God kind of puts him, he gets sleepy, and he leans back, and he kind of, he's in this little stupor, and you read the context, and he kind of, you know, kind of wakes up and looks, and he sees this smoking fire pot and flaming torch doing the, the walk of death that, that he would have normally done, okay? So what happens? How do you make a covenant with an unseen God? And God kept Abraham from promising something he couldn't deliver, perfection. See, he's going to sin at some point. Which that also is why Jesus had to come and be that perfect sacrifice. So there's a neat connection to it there. So since he was uh, sure to eventually violate that covenant, God took a walk of death without him. He made a sort of a one-sided covenant promise. All we have to do is respond and obey. Because if we make if we mess up, he didn't kill us on the spot right now. Now you have many examples in the Old Testament where they sinned and fire from heaven would come down, or they would. The ground would open up and swallow them. Now we live in an age of grace. We have a chance to repent. I'm very thankful for that because there's times in my life I wasn't living exactly like I should have been. How about you? So that walk of death is important, and he was, he was patient with Abraham, and he took the walk of death alone. Only Jesus could deliver the perfection required so we could live in eternity with God. So we want to be connected uh, to him. So again, baptism unites us with that walk of death. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. The sixth step was a mark on the body. Remember the old Tom Sawyer show where they would cut their fingers and mix their blood and say, now we're blood brothers and, you know, we'll always be together and all that. Well, that's kind of an extension of this, this mark on the body. They would actually, and some tribes in Africa and South America still do this, when they make a covenant with another man, they'll, they'll cut their, their wrist and sometimes they'll cut it in a shape, like a V shape or a, a, a circle or an X and, and uh, when, they, when they cut it and the blood starts to come out, they shake hands, they grab, they grab their forearm so that the blood on the wrist mingles, and they're making a blood covenant. And uh, in fact, they would even uh, sprinkle some gunpowder or some mud in the wound as it healed so that the mark they'd made, their covenant mark, would be very visible after it, after it uh, healed. And then they'd wave, say, hey, how you doing? Right, good to see you. I'm showing you my covenant mark. I'm not just being friendly. I want you to know I'm in covenant with somebody, so if you're thinking about attacking me and taking all my stuff, i got somebody going to come to the rescue. Okay? I've got a covenant partner. Of course, they cut their wrists and struck their arms together, and the Old Testament cut was circumcision. Okay? In the New Testament, Jesus took those marks for us on the cross. But also, baptism is connected there. When, when you were baptized, uh, you were circumcised. That's a verse often overlooked, but Colossians 2, 11 and 12 says, In him you were circumcised. It was not a circumcision performed by human hands, but it was a removal of the corrupt nature in the circumcision performed by Christ. This happened when you were placed in the tomb through Christ, through baptism. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. So again, we have all these interesting connections to uh, baptism and in our covenant today. The, second, uh, the seventh step was a list of was a pronouncement of blessings and curses. Now you can go to De Deuteronomy chapter 28 and read the whole chapter to get a feel for this. I'm just going to show you part of that. We won't take the time to read the whole chapter today. But it was a pronouncement of blessings and curses. So if Clay and I made this covenant, we would have witnesses and make this pronouncement in front of the witnesses. And I would say to him and he would say to me the same words. Clay, you, you, now that we're in covenant and you have to keep the covenant, you're going to be blessed when you rise up in the morning. 
You're going to be blessed when you lay down at night. You'll sleep good and won't have nightmares. You're going you're to have crops that are blessed. Your kids are going to be blessed. Your donkeys are going to be blessed. Your camels are going to be blessed. Your corn crops are going to be blessed. Whatever you have, it's all going to be blessed. However, if you break this covenant, then you'll be cursed when you rise up in the morning. You'll be cursed when you lay down at night. Your wives will be cursed. Your children will be cursed. Your crops will be cursed. Your animals will be cursed. We went through the same list pronouncing these blessings and curses. Blessings if you keep the covenant, curses if you disobey the covenant. And so that was what happened in front of witnesses, and it was a pronouncement of blessings and curses. Uh, Deuteronomy 28, 2 and 3 says, These are all the blessings that will come to you and stay close to you because you obey the Lord. Okay? And then we have many uh, New Testament uh, verses that talk about blessings in Christ. People without Jesus are cursed. Uh, Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ paid the price to free us from the curse. If you're not in Christ, you, the curse is still going to get you. Christ is the only way out of the curse. Okay? That's Galatians 3. Got to get a new pointer. This thing's not working for me. God provides for covenant people over and over. Philippians 4, verse 19, God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. Uh, you can find lots of these. Seek first the kingdom of God, and I'll give you 10% of what you need. Oh, I'm sorry, did I misquote that? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. If you're putting the kingdom of God first, he's going to provide what you need. It's a promise. You believe it or not, but it's in the Bible. It's a, it's a promise. This is Philippians 4, 19. Um, ask, seek, knock. Luke 11, verse 9. So I tell you, ask, and God will give you. Search, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Now, this is... The context of this, and we'll talk more about this during the week, is not uh, uh, self-centered. It's kingdom-centered. It's not, uh, dear God, I need a Cadillac. Please have one show up in my driveway by Friday. I need a new car. No, but maybe you need a car to take people to church, and that's a different situation. It's not about him being our Santa Claus in the sky, providing our every want, getting a new want list every day. It's about... When you're focused on kingdom growth, then you ask, and I'm going to give it to you. You seek, and you're going to find. Knock, it's going to happen. I've seen it over and over. Uh, Matthew 6, 33, God provides for dedicated servants. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. So it's not just give him your want list. It's focus on the kingdom. We just have a short time to do that. We're co-heirs with Christ. We're God's heirs with Jesus Christ. Since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we're heirs of God's glory, Romans 8, 17. And we need to be, just like Jesus was, about the Father's business. And we need to ask ourselves, which kingdom are we putting first? Our kingdom or God's kingdom? Okay. The eighth step is real interesting, too. It's the covenant meal. If we made this pronouncement of blessings and curses, I would actually feed clay the whole meal while we're doing this covenant in front of witnesses. That's where the first bite of wedding cake, giving it to your new covenant partner, comes from. That's a carryover from what happened in the ancient covenant. So we would, it wouldn't just be the first bite. I would feed Clay his whole meal, all the way through dessert, in front of all these witnesses, pronouncing all these blessings and curses. And I would be saying, as you ingest this food into your body, it can't be taken back out. It becomes a part of your, your bloodstream and your cells and your, your makeup. So it's irrevocable, unreversible, okay? And so 
you'll be blessed if you keep this covenant. You can't back out of this. It's permanent. You can't say, hey, Steve, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I, I can't come defend your place, or you can't come defend. No, you can't get out of this. It's a permanent binding covenant, and the covenant meal was one of the symbols used to illustrate that. They fed each other before witnesses and, and gave that list of blessings and curses in front of the witnesses. And, of course, the Passover meal was an extension of that same uh, covenant relationship and a meal, Exodus 12, verse 11. This, uh, this is the way you must eat it. You must be fully dressed as if you were going on a trip. You must have your sandals on and your walking stick in your hand. You must eat it in a hurry. This is the Lord's Passover. And by the way, it was required. It wasn't an optional meal. Everybody had to participate. That's Exodus 12, 11. We still, we still have a covenant meal. What's it called? The Lord's Supper. It's a reminder of our covenant relationship, our connection to him. Matthew 26, 26, Jesus took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it in pieces and gave it, and he said what? Eat it, this is my body. And then the very next verse said, uh, he took the wine, he gave thanks, and he said, drink it, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant. It's all about covenant. God has always worked by covenant, he still works by covenant, and you better be in covenant with God if you want to be with him in eternity. Matthew 26, 27, and 28. The ninth step is also very interesting. It's a name exchange. If Clay Spencer and Steve Hemphill made a covenant, I would take part of his name and it would come, become part of my name permanently. I would sign my checks that way and everything. I might become Steve Spencer Hemphill or Steve Clay Hemphill, and he might add part of my name to his. God's name in the Hebrew was Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H. God took the A-H from his own name, and Abram became Abraham. So when you're saying Abraham, you're saying part of God's name, Yahweh, Abraham. And God changed his own name. From then on in Scripture, he's called the God of Abraham. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Over and over and over, you see that in Scripture. And Jesus took on the name Son of Man. We're going to talk about that one in just a moment. So covenants require a name change. Your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham. This is Genesis 17, 5. Meaning that I'm, I'm making you the father of nations, I'm making you the father of fathers, and I'll make nations from you. So the name change was part of the covenant relationship, and it was an external permanent name change part. Um, there's one example, Psalm 47, 9. There's many, many Old Testament examples where God, God uses his new name, God of Abraham. Tell him the God of Abraham sent you. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob said this. Psalm 47, 9. And then as Christians, when we become a Christian and we're baptized into Christ and put on Christ, our name changes. We're still practicing this today. I'm no longer just Steve Hemphill. I'm Steve Hemphill Christian. Or I'm Christian Steve Hemphill. We still practice that. It started in Antioch. The disciples were called Christians for the first time in the city of Antioch, Acts 11, verse 26. So we're still practicing the name change. The tenth step was an exchange of firstborn sons. This is why he asked for Isaac and why he sent Jesus. If you think about this, if Clay and I exchange firstborn sons, of course, that's a problem in Clay's case uh, with five girls. I'm sorry, I, I should have picked Clint this time. But, but anyway, uh, we would exchange firstborn sons, and my son would go live with Clay permanently, and his would come live with me. Now, when I'm attacked, is he motivated to come to my house and help defend it now? Because his son lives here. And if he's attacked, I'll guarantee you I'm motivated to go to his house and defend his house, aren't I? See, so that was part of what that was about. 
when they came to the place God told him about at Moriah, Abraham built the altar there and he arranged the wood. He tied up Isaac and placed him on the altar. God asked for Isaac. We've got to have a son exchange. That's part of a covenant relationship. Um, God sent his own son, born of a woman, lived under the law. Galatians 4, verse 4. So Jesus was the final response of the final step of the last covenant in Scripture, the last big covenant. And it was the, uh, this is why, see, he was son of God. He became what? Son of man. This is why he called himself son of man all through the New Testament, over and over. Now you know why he said, well, the son of man has no place to lay his head. He was saying, I'm here for covenant reasons. Matthew 8, 20 is one example of that. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to rest his head. So he was acknowledging the covenant relationship, and he was here to fulfill the final step of that, of that uh, eternal covenant, blood covenant relationship, by being here and calling himself Son of Man. So there's the summary of the ten steps we just looked at. Exchange of robes, which is a confusion of identity. Exchange of belts, which is an exchange of strength. We have access to God's strength now. Exchange of weapons, which is an exchange of enemies. Satan's now our enemy. He was God's, but now he's ours. And our enemy, death, God took it on and sent Jesus to conquer death. Then sacrifice was required. Walk of death, mark on the body. Blessings and curses, covenant meal, exchange of names, and exchange of firstborn sons. And it's funny, this is a real interesting and non-threatening way to promote the idea that, that uh, baptism is part of the covenant, and if you're going to leave it out, you're just not in covenant yet. Um, some of my friends I used to have breakfast with on Thursday mornings, they go to all different churches, and I... You know, I when you get to be friends with somebody, you can say anything, and they're not mad at you. See, we can discuss these things, right? So one, one uh, Thursday morning, I said, uh, I, want, I found out, I thought of something to illustrate why I think baptism is real important. They said, okay, tell us. I said, um, you remember when they were uh, having the last plague in Egypt, and that was going to be the death of the firstborn son, and they had to do all this list of things before the death angel came over? And they go, yeah. I said, now remember, it was a long list. They had to... They had to kill a lamb, they had to roast it, they had to eat it with the staff in hand, the bread had to be unleavened, they had to eat it with a neighbor, if any food was left over, they had to burn it up. There was this long list of things, and one of the things was, put the blood from the lamb on the doorpost. Blood on the doorpost. We're going to talk about symbols, the importance of symbols uh, tonight. And I asked my friends, I said, let me ask you this question, do you think if they had done everything on the list except the blood on the doorpost, that the death angel would have come over and said, oh, they got 98% of it, that's good enough, and going on. Or do you think the death angel would have killed their firstborn son? And unanimously, all those guys said, oh, I think the death angel would have killed their firstborn son. I said, me too. And for us, baptism is just the blood on the doorpost. And they go, oh, I get it. I get it. So there's a, a great non-threatening way. I've actually had a, a, a preacher of a, uh, church in West Texas called me to come speak at his church, and I, I preached from the pulpit, and they had been teaching faith only all these years, and I teach, taught this lesson, and I sat down shaking like a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs, if, if you know what I'm talking about, and he stood up, and he said, good job, Steve, and if you guys hadn't figured it out yet, Steve's Church of Christ, but they got it right on baptism. We've been saying faith only all these years, but you've got to be baptized, be in covenant with God, and you could have knocked me over with a feather. But you know what? People are ready for the truth. And when you see the world in disarray and you need hope 
be ready for whatever the truth is because the truth's going to set us free. So that's kind of my quick lesson. If you, if you want that in a written form, I did it in a little kind of a parable at the end of one of the chapters in the, in the heaven book. Uh, any questions about any of those steps or any comments? How much time I got, Jerry? It's about time to be over anyway. Let me just go back to my first story then how I started the class. Remember that envelope from Dad? We agonized about what to do. And after a couple of hours, my mom called and said supper was ready. My little brother held it up and he said, okay, you're the big brother. You decide what are we going to do with this envelope. And I said, well, there's going to be a resurrection. And we're going to face that again. And when we see him, I don't want to have to hang my head and say, hi, Dad, sorry we opened that envelope. I know you said not to open it. We couldn't help ourselves. I just didn't want to do that. So we burned it without reading it. And if you want to know what's in it and you beat me to heaven, you can look up Jamie Hemphill and ask him what was in that envelope. But I'll tell you this, that envelope changed my life because I had my own business and I had 35 employees and I thought I'd be there the rest of my life. And I ended up writing that book on heaven and Harding asked me to come speak at the lectureship because there were no books on heaven and nobody knew me. They stuck me in a classroom that seated 15 and 120 people showed up. You know what? People are hungry for hope. And they want to know about heaven because they got some loved ones there. And if you're not excited about where you're going, you're not going to take anybody with you. I think it's time we got excited about heaven and shared the excitement with people around us because there's people all around us dying and going to hell every day. And we're supposed to be the salt and light making a difference. So anyway, they had to move me from the little classroom and put me into the chapel to seat everybody. And I started getting invited to speak. And uh, I've never charged anybody to speak. Sometimes people give me some money and sometimes they don't. I never even know when I go someplace to speak. I've been to 120-something cities in 14 states and three countries. And uh, just so you know, all I do is uh, if they want to help my expenses, that's fine. I won't turn it down. But if they'll let me sell my books and my, my woodwork, uh, everything I've got has got Bible verses on it. I've got little branding irons, and I brand a, a unique Bible verse on every piece of woodwork you see in the lobby. That's why they're nice enough to let me put that stuff out there. I sell that to pay my travel expenses. And you know what? God just makes it work out. And I, I, uh, I've written the last two books on spiritual warfare and prayer. And let me tell you what. Satan has taken the land. I say we take it back. One house at a time. And we're going to talk about that starting in the worship service this morning. Let's uh, close class with a prayer. Holy Father, thank you for this beautiful day, for all the ways you bless us. We take so much for granted. Use us to your glory. Give us uh, boldness to speak up to those around us who need Jesus. Give us the right words at the right moment for the right people. Give us courage to say those words, and I pray that you prepare their hearts so that the things that are said will penetrate to the core of their being and help them to realize their need for you, their need for Jesus, their need to be saved. Help them to recognize and help us to recognize the way evil has crept into our homes and our country and our lives and help us to do everything we can to, just to help one person. When we wake up each day, Father, help us to say we're still alive. What can we do for the kingdom today? Use us to your glory. Bless us this week during this study. Help us to bring a friend. Help us to, to uh, uh, 
use the talents that, that we have and the contacts that we have to, to make a difference, Father. Remind us that every one of us can reach somebody for the kingdom that nobody else can reach. Give us courage to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>